you just take your Bibles and we'll turn with me to 2 Samuel 11. We have had our break with the Advent season, and then we looked at the prayer of Moses. And then last week we looked at what does it mean to be the church as we come looking forward to the new year. And we'll be now turning back to the life of David, and we come to the a part that's uh, a trial. And obviously we have heard nothing but good things about King David uh, as he's done some valiant things. And now we find himself in the midst of a, of a time where, again, uh, many people would hope that this was not a part of the scripture, however it is. And so, uh, again, we'll be looking at it this morning. There's a song out, um, if you listen to country music every once in a while, there's a song by Luke Bryan, and his song is, Most People Are Good. And it's a song that I disagree with a lot of it. Um, there's some stuff that I agree with in his song, and I know he's, he's trying to make money. Uh, but there's definitely parts of it where, again, um, you shouldn't be ashamed of anything you ever do. I believe most people are good. I believe them streets of gold are worth the work. Because um, wisdom in your teen years would be a lot less fun. There's a lot of things in there that where it's just like, that's not good theology. Um, let alone if even if you're not a Christian, um, there's a lot of times that people kind of look back and they kind of go, I wish I would have done things differently. And so, again, I understand Luke Bryan selling uh, his music and making millions and stuff like that. But it's a it's a horrible theology to be singing. And again, it's, it's part of us kind of making sure that we hear um, the words of the scripture and that we make it allowed to make deep roots. Because uh, here's the reality. You can have 30 years of a great reputation and it can be destroyed in the course of 30 minutes. And that's where we're fine, finding with King David. He's had this great reputation. He's done incredible things. He's been very giving. And in the course of 30 minutes, he destroys everything that he is and it begins to affect not just him but all of the kingdom and so we're going to look this morning uh, at this passage and again uh, hopefully leave with the understanding that again we look to christ as our only hope um, in regards to our sin so let's go to the lord in prayer heavenly father again as we come to your scripture lord it is you by the power of the spirit who has given us this story And so, Lord, it's a hard story, but, Lord, it's a story that is given to us. Lord, may we heed the wisdom that you're about to give to us. Or may you restore people who are struggling maybe even with the same sin. Or may all be brought closer to the cross because of this morning. So that we would lay our sins down. That we would cry out to Christ that we would hear the gospel clear again this morning. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, we have a written account of a falling king. So again, the question should be, except for the grace of God, and we usually add the statement, so go I. And I want to kind of keep that in our mindset, because there is a reason why there's a written account of a fallen king. Now again, there's the setting that the narrator gives to us, and the, the setting is this. Again, he's told us the story of the good and merciful King David. Um, but then he starts off this passage by saying it's springtime. 
And it's springtime, and it's a time where people and kings specifically go off to war. And yet what's happening here is you, while you're supposed to be at war, King David, he's at home. Okay, so there's something that's already happening there. And then there's also the understanding of uh, something that's common is this woman is purifying herself. She's had her menstrual cycle, and she's purifying herself, and she's doing it. So again, a lot of people kind of they kind of take the story and they kind of um, bring extra biblical ideas. And so I don't, I really don't think that uh, she was up there trying to be seductive. I think she was doing what women do. And so what happens though, is it begins to have an incredible impact on what's going to happen um, further on. So you have this setting of the things that the narrator has put us in. And they, he wants us to understand that there's a, a thing that's kind of going on because King David now is kind of uh, relaxing. He's doing this uh, physically. He's, there's some ways that we kind of looked at him and we go, well, he kind of earned it, didn't he? I mean, he's had a long life. He's um, been walked and ran away from Saul for most of his life. Um, he's done great things. He's earned it. He's doubled the size of the kingdom um, from King Saul. Um, of course, he's earned time to just kind of kick back and relax. But the reality is, if we're honest, if we begin to relax physically, then a lot of times we become lax spiritually. And so I think this is part of what's happening is David begins to, to relax physically. So he also begins to relax spiritually. And as he does so, what he does is he has this um, sinful account. Now the question is, why is it written down for us? Um, And I think truly the reason why it's written there um, is it's for us. I think the Holy Spirit allows because it becomes awarding to us. There's a a story out there. Um, It's a funny story. It's not true, but it's a a naval thing. And it's talking about a a captain who sees um, a light ahead of him. And he tells the light, he calls in, he tells the light, please divert your course 0.05 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. And the reply comes back, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The ship responds, this is the captain of a U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The reply comes back to the captain. No, I say again, you divert your course. This is an aircraft carrier. We are a large warship of the U.S. Navy. Divert your course now. The reply comes back. This is a lighthouse. Your call. So it's, again, it's a funny story. It's a story that they, they tell, obviously, is if you're in the Navy, you've heard that story multiple times, but it talks about wisdom. And just because you have might and power, sometimes you have to be aware that there's a warning that comes that's very significant for us to pay attention to. And so what happens is that this is written down, okay, because again, if it's, this would have just been a normal setting, this would have been ripped out of history, would have been none the wiser. But God puts it here in regards to give us a warning, warning, warning. It's just like the robot from Lost in Space if you're that old. Danger, Will Robinson. And that's what the Bible is trying to teach us here. Because I want everyone to know that everyone is capable of this sin. This sin, but all sin. One pastor stated it this way. The best of men are men at best. Did you catch that? The best of men are men at best, which means everyone is capable of doing 
anything. I'm unshockable in my life now. It would not hesitate for anybody to come in here and to tell me that they have killed someone. It would not shock me if anybody came in and said that I have done this. I have stolen millions of dollars. Nothing is shocking because I truly believe that at the core of our hearts that it is desperately wicked like the scripture says. And given the right opportunities, given the right setting, we are capable of doing anything, anybody. Now the question I think a lot of us have is that most people don't really believe that. They really believe that they're good people. I would never do that. I would never do that thing. I would never say that. I would never find myself in a position like that. And I think as soon as you start to say those kind of things, you go right to the front of the list. Because the reality is we don't have an immunity stick. We don't have an immunity idol on a reality show. This is real life. And you're not immune to anything. And remember, this is farther down David's life. He's probably middle-aged at this point. So he's lived up this, this whole great reputation for years and years and years. And now he finds himself in a position where he, he's able to lose everything. So we have to remind ourselves that we need to finish well. And so what happens is David finds himself in the midst of a temptation to sin. Now, why do I say it's a temptation? Because he goes up onto the roof... And he looks and he sees a beautiful woman. Now, what would have been the right response for David to do? Turn his eyes, walk back inside. Okay? But he sees and he lingers. And then he does the next thing is where he inquires about the woman. Now, I want to say at this point in the midst of it, this is a gracious warning from God. When David inquires, he has at least a time to think about it. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. And God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But when the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. See, when David inquired of who she is, it gives, God gave him a pause because he learned that her name, her name, and then he said, this is the daughter of and the wife of. Now at that point, David should have stopped. He shouldn't have even gotten to that point, but at this point with this gracious pause, he should have stopped and said, I'm done. Matthew 26 verse 41 says, watch and pray that you may not enter in temptation for the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Now, again, I, I want you to understand that if you read this chapter, what, at what point does God come into play? The last line. It's all about David. And it's a lot of just facts. He saw, he inquired, he took, he laid, he sent away it's just a, a one thing after another and again when you are not in a position to where you're praying and being watchful you find yourself falling to pray to the things of the flesh and so we see that this is starting to happen and so what 
the reality is, is that, again, we need to be reminded that we have a sin nature. Now, again, this doesn't just change because we've become a Christian or because we know who God is or who Jesus is. There's still the nature of our sin. And so what happens is there starts to be a progress of sin in regards to David. First, there was the enticement of sin. So David, again, has a fixation. And so he inquires, he hears the answer, and that doesn't stop him. And so he sends for her, and then he has relations with her. Now, again, if you remind yourself when we kind of talked about the beginning, there shouldn't even be a king in Israel. (laughs) This should be God ruled. And God made it very clear to the people, if you want a king, then here's what the king is going to do. He's going to take your sons and daughters. He's going to take your wealth. He's going to take all these things. He's going to make you work for himself. And even, even though David was a good king, look at where David is. David is somehow now unaccountable Rules don't apply to him. And David did just like every other earthly king. David went and he took because he could. And so this enticement of sin um, starts to make us think that, again, all of our sin is private. Right? No one's ever going to know. No one gets hurt. Right? I mean, I I know that there's a, a conscience in regards to Bathsheba committing adultery david's committing adultery but hey that's just private no one's going to find out you know what our consciences are are things that um, should weigh heavy on us a lot of times it's the holy spirit convicting and again i have to be very careful here because there's two types of people in here there's two types of people in here one type of person hears that they're a sinful person and so they become so overwhelmed by their sin that it begins to shut them down they they don't feel like they can be used ever again so again i come and i hear a lot of times they come they confess to me hey i i did this i said well did you confess your sin to jesus well yeah okay it's forgiven come on with life but there's a second type of person who, when they have their consciences, um, they sear it. They push it down. This doesn't apply to me. That's David at this point. He doesn't see himself as an adulterer. He sees him well within the rights of being a king. He's in charge, for goodness sakes. Who's going to tell him to do anything different? And so he's in the midst of this, and he thinks it's a private sin. But listen, um, there's never a cover-up for our sins. I truly believe that if you are a Christian, sins that you commit find you out. And I think that's a grace of God. If you live in in a pattern of sin and and nobody's calling you into question and you're not following yourself uh, being something, then I would question you being a Christian. Because I've seen the pattern of you are a Christian. God never allows you to just live in sin. It becomes found out. And so again, by all intents and purposes, I mean, if you think about this, she just finished her menstrual period. She shouldn't be able to get pregnant at this time by all physical standards. And yet she sends back to King David, I'm pregnant. So now David's in a dilemma. And what happens is the narrator at this point begins to show us, listen, the difference between Uriah and David. 
Now, again, I'm not here to tell you that Uriah is this great person. Uriah could have been a terrible husband. I mean, Bathsheba could have been in a horrible marriage. I mean, Uriah could have been a, a, a terrible husband, probably at this age and, and time and the period of, of history. He was probably much older than her. Probably a lackluster marriage at best. We don't know. He could have been an incredible husband. But she finds herself in a place where she went to the king, committed adultery, and now finds herself pregnant. And so what happens is the narrator starts to show us the difference between David and how he acts and Uriah and how he acts. And so what starts to happen is we see the integrity of Uriah and we see the sinfulness of David. And all of a sudden there starts to be a progression of sin. Now, David could have confessed and said, I've done something wrong. I need to fess up to it. I need to deal with it. And we need to be done. He doesn't. And you know, especially if you're a parent, have you ever taught this with your kids when you've found them to be uh, caught in something? And my first response to my kids are, don't lie about this. It's only going to make things worse. You're caught. Now, I would suggest that you're honest at this point. Because if we go forward and you lie about it, it's going to be worse the longer that we go. So what makes David think that he can continue to cover up? Well, I'm here to tell you, sin leads to sin. So what he does is he goes and he sends for Uriah. He wants to cover up. He wants it so that Uriah goes home and makes it think like it's his kid. Just come home I'm going to act like I really care about you, ask about what's happening on the war front. And you know what? While you're home, go home, see your wife, spend some time. And you know what? I'm going to send a dinner home. You know, just have a night out. Just enjoy yourself. So he's trying to cover it up. But Uriah doesn't go along with it. Uriah goes outside the the, um, castle lays down with all the other servants of David and doesn't go home. So David inquires, hey, Uriah, go home. Is everything good for me? No, it's not good for you, king. Uriah stayed out here with the servants. Well, that's a problem. See, I need him to go home. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell Uriah, hey, don't go back to the front yet. Stay here another couple of days. And you know what? Come on inside and we'll, we'll just sit and sit around and talk and catch up. And oh yeah, I'm going to make you drunk. The progression. So he gets Uriah drunk in the hopes again of covering up his sin. If I can get him to where he's not thinking right, he'll go home to his wife and everything will be good. Uriah doesn't go home. Maybe he couldn't go home. We don't know. But he lies down. And then when questioned by David, listen, he gives David a lesson in theology. Why should I have anything good when everybody else and even the ark, even God's at war? And all the people are out in the field and they're sleeping in tents. How? I can't go home. I can't do that. And yet here's David at home in his own bed when he really should be out at war. So Uriah tells David, hey, the things that you should be doing, I'm doing. And so David's convicted at this point, right? Oh, I'm sorry, Uriah, I need to confess to you. No. He writes 
a letter to Joab and sends the death letter with Uriah. How cold is that? Hey, Uriah, take this note back. Don't look at it. Just give it to Joab and he'll know what to do with it. So old Uriah carries his own death sentence back. He goes and he's killed. So here's the progression of sin. And a lot of times I I want us to understand that there's an impact of our sin. Always. First, there's the self. How far David has fallen in the course of a short time. Again, 30 minutes destroys a 30-year reputation. David has destroyed it. He is so, he got caught up in trying to cover it up to thinking that no one will find him out. That he has just now sent someone to, uh, to be murdered. But not only that, listen, others are impacted. Sometimes, I mean, yes, I mean, right off the bat, Bathsheba and David were affected. All the wives and husbands of that relationship were affected. Those servants, remember the servants that he asked and called and said, hey, who is she? They knew what they gave the answer. He, all the servants that had to go get her, they're all affected. So all these people are affected. But not only that, people are killed because of this. Because you can't just have Uriah go and die. He's got to have other people be killed so that it looks like a real military thing. So how would you like to find out your husband or your wife died because of someone else's sin because the general wanted to cover up something? And we wonder why conspiracy theories work. So people are dead because of this sin. And then listen, David writes back to Joab And I want you to understand, if you read 2 Samuel 3, it was David who confronted Joab about killing a person who killed his brother, saying, we don't do that. And so he has Joab commit murder. Joab writes back, and here's how David responds to him. C'est la vie. Life is life. People die. Don't worry about it, Joab. Don't lose sleep over this. People die. So we made it so he died. He was going to die anyways. Just rest easy, Joab. So he gives him a place. Now listen to this. Also, there's irony. Because they continue to do the religious ceremony after they have murdered Uriah. They do everything that's expected of them for regards to religious things. I'll do the morning, I'll do the required things, and I'll act like I'm a good Christian. So here it's affected them, it's affected other people, but most of all, it's affected God. Because it says very clearly that what David did displeased the Lord. Now again, God sometimes is silent, but he is never sightless. He knows everything that we do. So how do we deal with this? Because again, this is a hard passage. And I don't want you to end here. (laughs) Because that would be a long week. I want to go back to the first point. Except for the grace of God. Because here's the reality 
again, he tells us there's going to be a battle within our hearts and our minds. Again, that doesn't change when we become Christians. Is he transforming us? Yes, but how does he transform us? Through the word, through prayer, through obeying who he is. So there's a struggle within our hearts and our minds. And what he tells us, he says, don't be troubled. He tells us this because the, the sin nature is still there. And God, listen, hates sin. Sin is never an excuse for our thoughts or actions. You can never make the statement, God made me do it. You choose to sin. I choose to sin. And God tells us very clearly, he says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. Leviticus 19 verse 2 says this, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. We are to be the representations. That's why he's constantly saying, go back to him, run back to him. Because at this point, listen, the only thing that can save David at this point is the gospel. And I think, again, God puts us here because he says, I want you to point not to a human David. I want you to point you to the greater David, the one who lived a perfect life and gave his life as a ransom for us. And the only thing that can save King David at this point now is Jesus. So he says to us, with this battle that's raging within, be mindful. And he gives him a couple of things here. First, he gives to us a warning. And here's some application. The first thing I want you to see is that there's spiritual grace that God gives to us. Well, how does he do that? The first thing he does is he allows us to have accountability. And again, I tell you this all the time. You should be in a relationship where people are able to ask you hard questions. You should have that with at least one person. If you're married, for sure with your spouse, but you should have someone of the same sex asking you hard questions in this area and other areas. Because, again, our hearts are always in the battle. And we, we struggle. And so ask hard questions and know that the person there who's on the opposite side loves you and cares for you. But here's the second thing that needs to happen. And this is, this is a struggle, I know. Be completely honest with the other person. Some of the most shocking things for me in the church, I, I had my mentor was in, a, in a, a small group, an accountability group, for 20 plus years. Same group. And they had a guy who eventually found himself in a pattern of this sin, committed adultery. And they said, how in the world? And he said, I've been lying to you. Every time that you ask me those questions, I lied to you for the last 20 years. 20 years of lying. The only way this works is if you're honest and you truly begin to grasp and understand who you are. So God says, be held accountable to those who are Christians. And he tells us, be about prayer. Pray for yourself in this area. Pray for others. Who are you praying for that they might find themselves to be holy as God is holy? Who do you know that struggles? Who are you, who are you uh, reaching out to? Not only that, but scripture. And again, th- this, I say this week, in, week in, week out and stuff like that. This isn't rocket science. This is the very core of Christianity. If we're holding ourselves accountable, if we're uh, spending time in prayer and we're reading the scripture, it doesn't mean that you don't fall into sin, but it's a lot harder. Because if you're asking God to, to, to change your heart and to change your mind, to change your life, 
And again, one of the things that we do um, is we pray and we say, in Jesus' name, we kind of end our prayers with that. Uh, Richard Pratt, one of my professors, wrote a book and said, um, he said, you should start with in Jesus' name. Because it changes your mindset. Because if you're praying for what Jesus wants, that's very different a lot of times than what we want. So he says, start by praying in Jesus' name. And one of the things that we need to do with Scripture is we need to allow it to go deep in our lives. Listen to what Psalm uh, 119 says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then verse 11. For I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Store up the word. Memorize it. Be in accountability with someone to help you memorize or memorize specific verses. Now, that's a spiritual grace that he gives us, but he also allows us to have what I call practical grace. The first thing you need to do is to protect your mind. Listen, you are bombarded daily with perversion. If you watch TV, if you listen to radio, if you see the billboards, you are given daily perversions more now than your grandparents or great-grandparents ever had in their whole lifetime. So there is a daily perversion that's coming in. How do you protect your mind? Be practical. Maybe you need to get rid of cable. Maybe you need to get rid of the TV. Maybe you need to be paying attention to the things that are coming on film. Guys who go on trips. Are you protecting yourself? Again, I use this example a lot of times with uh, premarital counseling stuff, but I used to have a Sports Illustrated um, subscription. So again, there was inevitably one issue that would come every year called the swimsuit issue. So now being the, the great and holy man that I am, that has no problem for me. I just set it aside and don't deal with it. No, it's still, huh, what's in there? So what's the one practical thing I said to my wife? Hey, you know what? I'm not going to go get the mail. You get the mail, and when that one issue comes, you take it and you throw it away. It's not an issue. I don't even want to become a temptation. Just throw it away. Be practical in your life. And it might not be a swimsuit issue. It could be anything. It could be that you're sharing inappropriately with coworkers. It could be good things. You're providing for your family, so you're working overtime. That can become a sin. Is someone holding you accountable to go home to your family? Someone needs to be calling you and be very practical and start to treat, listen, everyone with dignity. Listen, if David had talked to me, if David was after one of my daughters, King David and I would have had uh, some issues. Now, do I treat everyone with that same dignity as, as I would with my own daughters or my own wife, my own friends? See, be practical. The next thing I want you to do is I want you to protect your life. What do I, know, what do I mean by that? Know yourself and know your weaknesses. Know yourself and know your weaknesses. So that you might be able to put practical things into place. Hedge your mind and your life. And then the last thing I want you to do is I want you to keep watch. Keep watch. See, everyone can fall. Everyone. And God already knows. So 
here's some encouragement. It's never too late to start over. Confess your sins. Run back to Jesus. And listen, Jesus does something that we as humans don't do very well. He forgets. And there's a reason why God forgets. And we don't as jerk human people. See, we like to define people by the things they do well or the things they do poorly. Oh, that's so-and-so. They're a divorcee. Oh, that's so-and-so. They committed adultery. Oh, that's so-and-so. They really have issues. When we go to God, we confess our sins. He says he throws them as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. Here's why. Because sin does not define you. Sin doesn't define you. Listen, even after David does all this stuff, did what David did was bad? Yes. Would David stand trial before the elders here in this church and have to account for his life decisions? Yes, he would. But God, listen, what God says about David is he is a man after my own heart. What? Because he's forgiven. And not only that, he continues to allow David to be part of his genealogy leading up to Jesus. Don't allow Satan to whisper in your ear and tell you you are not worth the love and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, no one is. That's the gospel. So you know what? When you feel bad, you look at Satan, and I want you to hear this, and kids, I want you to pay attention because Pastor Jeff's going to say a bad word. You tell Satan to go back to hell because that's where he belongs. And you live for Christ because you're forgiven. And God sees Jesus, not you. And that is a huge amen. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if I was honest, I wish we would have never have done anything that would have had to have anything bad be written in this Bible. But Lord, I'm so gracious that you're a God who loves us and wants to show us the reality of men of faith, women of faith, warts and all. Because it's an encouragement that no one, no no one earns grace and mercy. It's a free gift that comes from God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So fathers, we're all united at the foot of the cross. May we lay our sin down. And Lord, there might be people here who are in a pattern of sin who need to lay it down and to hear the words, you are forgiven. Lord, those are others who have defined themselves by their past or they need to lay it down and to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, let us live, truly live life because we are found in Christ and Christ alone. For it's to him that we give all glory and honor. For it's to him who is rightfully deserving. Because he paid the price. And he's the one who gives us life. To him we give all in return.
pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen.